0: Well, good morning, Mount Carmel. Good to see you this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. A million little choices. Time is a precious thing. The interesting part of it is, is no matter where you are in life, we're all given the same 24 hours a day. From the President of the United States to the lowest pauper, we all have 24 hours a day. From the least to the greatest, we all are on the same playing field when it comes to, To the time that we have. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled First Pursuit, Loving God with My Time. And We're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 through 11 this morning and as you turn there I want to read it for us and then we're going to pray and ask God to bless his word today in our lives. The Bible says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you right now not half-heartedly and not just to go through the routine of praying before a message. We come to you right now because we are desperately in need of you. We come before you right now because the needs in this room are so so many, the, the weight of it, if we were to put it all together, is more than we can possibly in a lifetime handle. We need your help. And every person that's here today comes from a different angle, a different walk of life. And Lord, what we're asking today is, is that you take us from wherever we are and draw us to Jesus Christ and his plan for our life, with our time, his plan for, um, the, for, for how we spend our time, what we love and what our passions are for. And Father, we pray most of all that you would take your word this morning and feed it to your people. Whether we realize it or not, we come here today hungry. We are hungry to hear more of your word. We need to eat. We need to be fed. Our souls need to be nourished and we need to leave here transformed. Lord, those are impossible things. And so we're reminded this morning that your Bible tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so Lord, we're coming to him today. We're coming to you we're asking Lord for you to do what we cannot in Jesus name amen loving God with my time if I could see the future and most importantly into eternity how would I change the way I'm living my today's I mean if I only had seven more days to live and here's the thing every person in this room that could be the case Isn't it funny how we wake up in in, in the morning and we think we're omniscient, we think we're all-knowing, we think that we have so much time? We don't know. We have no idea. We don't control the future in that regards. God is sovereign. We don't know. And if I could see my future, and most importantly, into eternity, how would I change the way that I live, my Mondays and my Tuesdays, my Wednesdays? What kind of person am I going to be 20 years from now And how will I have impacted people? How will I have impacted my children, my spouse, my family, my community, uh, my church? And by the way, you and I live, we write our own legacies. And most importantly, the legacies we write have consequences both on this side of eternity and on the other side that's to come. That's just a fact. No one's getting away from that fact. I mean, I just want to tell you, we could just stop the message right now and probably all go home humbled if we really take that in and realize, I don't know if I have tomorrow. I'm writing my own legacy. All right, I'm writing my own epitaph by the grace of God. And everything that I do on this side of eternity affects what's to come. No one is getting away from that fact. Life is short. You've heard the commercial, life is short, play hard. You get one shot at it. God is bigger than my past, praise the Lord. You see, some of us came to church today and we feel like, Pastor, don't even start talking about the future. I can't get over my past. You've got to get over your past. God has gotten over your past. God, when you come to Him in faith, forgives you of your past, present, and future sin. God has not called you to live in your past. God has said, press toward the mark. Don't you love that first song we sang today? I have a hope, I have a future. Without God, you don't. But with God, you have a hope. You have a future that's beyond your wildest imagination. God is bigger than my past. Aren't you thankful today that God is bigger than your sin? God is bigger than your sin. God is bigger than your failure. God is bigger than your imperfection. God's grace is bigger than that. God doesn't want me to wallow in the past. God's grace is the only thing that can sufficiently help me live a life that counts right now. But He wants me to do my part. And my part is to get on board with relying on Him. With choosing Him over the things of this world and worthless things. And obeying Him implicitly because my todays, and this is just true for all of us, my todays are going to make up my tomorrows. And my tomorrows are going to make up my future. That's just all there is to it. How you live today you can plan on that's what's going to bring the tomorrows and the tomorrows are going to make up the future and here's the great news the God who loves me perfectly and God is the only person who does God loves you more than your spouse God loves you more than your parents God loves you more than your best friend God is the only one who loves you perfectly because he's a holy God he's perfect he loves with a perfect love and it just so happens that the God who loves me perfectly wants me to be more successful than any other person in my life you know, I think about my parents. My parents want me to be successful. I would disappoint my parents in a great way if I failed at life miserably. And, and we all feel that way, all right? We want to be proud of our children. Our children want to be proud of us, all right? But here's the thing. You think about how much you love your children if you're a parent. All of us are children. You think about how much you love your parents. You think about all these different things. God's love far supersedes that, and He wants me to be more successful than any other person on planet Earth. God wants Mark Hopkins to be more of a success at life than his wife does, as much as she loves him, and vice versa. And he's giving me the prescription, he's given me the manual, he's given me the instruction booklet so that I can know how to do that. God doesn't want me to get on the other side and get to eternity and find out that I had missed it all. God says, I've given you my love letter, I've given you my word so you don't have to miss it all, so you can find out and get a shot at living life and a life that counts. God's word tells us that we're to live for an audience of one if we're really going to live a life that counts. In fact, the Apostle Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, notice this verse, Paul says, I've got one goal in life, I've got one holy ambition. It's not the American dream, it's not to make a bunch of money, it's not to hoard it all into myself, it's not to live for myself, it's not to live for comfort. He goes, I've got one goal in life, therefore we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. That's, I mean, that, it, that, life, life in, in five words. Sometimes life is so complicated, isn't it? You want to know how complicated life is? Go to Barnes & Noble and go to the self-help section. <laughs> there is a book on every problem known to man. Solomon tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes, you know what, after a while, books get really wearisome. Just get down to one. Get down to one. Now, I'm all for reading great books, especially books written by godly men, but you're not going to be the one uh, written by God Almighty. And he says, here's what you need to do. You've got one aim in life. This is freedom. You can leave here today change. You can leave here today making it simple. You can leave here today and be, and be on your deathbed and smile because you don't have regrets. And it goes like this. To be well-pleasing to Him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all on equal playing field. You're just not getting around this. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, it really doesn't matter what you believe. God says it's going to happen. and <laughs> He's not going to say, oh, this isn't going to count for you because you don't believe it. That's why it's so important. You say, Pastor, you're, you're being really up, you know, I'm here today and I don't, I don't believe all these things. Uh, that's kind of rude. And, and no, I don't feel that way at all. I don't feel that way at all. I would love to help you and, and help you see truth. And, 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 and we want to do everything we can to do that. So I'm not being intolerant of that. I'm just saying no matter what I believe doesn't change what's going to happen. God says it's going to happen. And that one day every person is going to stand before him. And he says, if you want to be ready for that day, and you want to live a life that counts on this side of eternity, and you want to be ready for a life that counts on the other side of eternity, you've got one holy ambition, and that should be this, to be well-pleasing to him. And here's the great news. God has given us his word to show us how to live a life that counts, and to be ready for the most important day of our life, the day we see Jesus Christ. And this morning, our passage is just one of many places that tells us how to live. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to look at the passage again. The Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Philippi. And I love to read the Apostle Paul's prayers that are inspired by the Word of God. This is the Word of God, God God-breathed. But I love to watch how the Apostle Paul prays because he prays so maturely. He prays for real stuff. Now, he does pray for physical problems. He prays for all those things. But he prays for stuff that really counts. And I'd like to get around people who who know how to pray this way. And Apostle Paul says, here's my Wednesday night prayer meeting, prayer request sheet for the church at Philippi. And it goes like this. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment or judgment. That you would approve with your life, I added that in there, the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Here's point number one this morning. When it comes to what you're going to invest your life and time in, know this, at the core of your life is what you love. At the core of your life is what you love. Paul knew, Paul knew this, and that's why we see in the very first part of this passage, he says, this is my first prayer request for you, and we're going to deal with something called love. Love. I'm praying that your love gets right. At the core of my life is what I love. You see, here's what we find to be true. The things that we love in life get us. They just get you. That's all there is to it. Whatever you love is like a magnet for everything else. Whatever I love gets my time. Whatever I love gets my resources. Whatever I love gets my attention. Whatever I love gets my heart. Whatever I love gets my passion. You see, I get really passionate about what I love. And so do you. That's why Jesus told us in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, you can count on this. You can count on it. It's true for every single human being. Whatever you treasure... That you love. That's what's got your heart. Now you know what? My kids have got a big piece of my heart. I love them. My wife has an even bigger piece of my heart. I love her. She's my best friend. You wouldn't have known it last night at the sweetheart banquet. <laughs> but she really is. There was a question last night that really got away with me. And it happened to be the first question. And It was like, if, if you could compare your life to a box of cereal and you What did your spouse's parents, if they were to choose between these four kinds of boxes of cereal, what would they have thought about you? Lucky Charms, Oatmeal Squares, Fruit Loops, or Just Right? And I wrote on my notepad, well, of course, her parents thought I was just right. My wife comes out, they ask her the question, she says, Oatmeal Squares. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. All the way home. We're not doing any more sweetheart banquets because we fought from the, from the firehouse back to the church. I said, do you even know what oatmeal squares means? She goes, well, I think it means boring. <laughs> and then you know what she went on to inform me? Well, Mark, face it, we are kind of boring. It's serious all the time. And I've just got some real thinking to do this week. (laughs) As a result of these things. Oatmeal squares. (laughs) You know what I found though? God says beyond all those things, He says whatever you love has got you. Whatever you love has got you. Whatever you treasure has your heart. And so Paul is praying here for the church at Philippi, and he's asking God to do something with their love. Now, the world defines love as one thing. We hear all sorts of secular songs about love, and they disgust me. They really do. The, the secular world songs about love are the furthest thing from love. They're the act, exact opposite of the biblical definition of love. And, and uh, our young people are growing up listening to these songs, adults are listening to songs, and we can't understand why our relationships don't work out so good. Because the world's definition of love is all around a focus on feelings and and what you feel like and your emotions and what serves you best. But God's Word tells us that love is self-sacrificial. Love is not about you. The Bible tells us that God is love. That's how we know anything about it. That God created it. He's the reason we know anything about the concept. But on top of all those things, He is the perfect example of it. Maybe you came into church this morning and you don't feel so loved. Can I tell you something? I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I know this. I know something that is 100% fact once and for all that has proven God's love for you. Go back 2,000 years and look on Calvary's cross. Once and for all, Jesus Christ has said, I love you so much that I will give it all. That's love. It's self-sacrificial. And God says, my goal is to take you and as you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith and turn from your sin to him, he puts his holy spirit inside of you so that he can now make you like his son. So that the more you grow up in Jesus, the more self-sacrificial you become. Notice just one of hundreds of verses that describe God's love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 through 11 on the screen. The Bible says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God." And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying God's definition of love. If you're a person that never doesn't even understand the concept of self-sacrificial love like God does, it's real possible you just don't have a relationship with God. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. Here's how we know God loves us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him that through His sacrifice and then resurrection from the grave that we're going to celebrate in two weeks from now, an event that changed all of human history, through Jesus Christ, we can live. And this is love, not that we loved God. We didn't go, you, didn't, you didn't wake up one day when you were three or four years old and say, I just, I, just, I just want to get to God. I just love God. No, God came to you first. God came to you first. He loved you first. And because He loved you first, you love Him. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You say, what's propitiation? It means Jesus Christ satisfied God's holiness and the punishment of our sin on the cross. God was so angry about our sin because He's holy. God could not look on our sin. God hates our lust. God hates our lies. God hates our pride. God hates our self-centered living because it's so contrary to Him. And from the moment Adam and Eve sin in the garden, that sin is passed down generation to generation, it has breeded a people that are born with a sin nature that make life all about them, and it disgusts God. And it deserves punishment. And God says, for the wages of sin is death. Self-centeredness has led to death. <laughs> but He says, I, because I love you so much, I've sent someone to do what you could not do for yourselves. I sent someone to save you. He's the propitiation for your sins. That's a word that we don't use all the time, and it really means this. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, all your sin was placed on Him, and all the anger that God had for your sin that's going to take a hell, an eternity in hell to pay for, was placed on the Son of God. And He bore it all so that through faith and trusting in Him and receiving His forgiveness, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to bear the weight of sin. You can be forgiven and then be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Propitiation is an important word. Jesus Christ has satisfied God's holiness when you and I could not. So God says, here's the goal, receive my love. Come into a relationship with me by faith. Trust in me. Turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you enter into this love relationship, God begins to give you His love to where you love Him as you should and you begin to love other people the way He loves them. And as you grow in love with God, and you love God more and more, because you begin to love what's on God's heart. And this puts you on track to live a life that really counts, that means something. A life that's built on something that will not fade away. So here's the first point. Paul says, I pray that your love, and I want you to understand this morning, at the core of your life is what you love. Now, I don't know what's at the core of your life. God knows. God knows. You see, I can put a show on for you every Sunday, and you think God's at the core of my life. You don't know for sure. God knows. And whatever's at the core of your life, you can count on it. That's what you love. Because that's what what has you. And here's the goal. God wants to get it to the place to where He's the core. Where He is the core. Here's the second thing we see in our passage this morning. God wants me to love the very best things. God wants me to love the very best things. I'm getting ready to read to you a passage that will change your life. I'm telling you, it will change your life if you were to live the way that we're about to read. He says, in this I pray that your love would do what? That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. Here's the deal. God says at the heart of who you are is what you love. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start loving the very best things. Because that's going to change who you are and what you're living for. That one phrase will change your life forever. If you were to get up tomorrow morning and shoot for what we just read. You will live a life of no regrets. And you will be one of the happiest people many will ever encounter. And for you to see this, we've got to unpack the words that are there and find out what they really mean. And I want to encourage you this. When you read the Bible, take time to unpack the words. Get you a good study Bible. Our Christian bookstore will be available today. I find out that a lot of people don't have a study Bible. Get you a study Bible that has notes at the bottom that will help define the words. Because you want to understand what do these words really mean in the original language. What does it mean? And you don't have to go to Bible college to get that. There are so many tools out there. Go online. Look up the words. What does that mean? And so there's five words here I want to unpack for us that could be life-changing for you. And here's the first one. Paul says, I'm praying that whatever you love would grow in knowledge. Would grow in knowledge. What is knowledge? Well, the actual word means facts, truths, or principles that are gained through first-hand experiential relationship. You say, what is that? What are you talking about? I'm telling you, it's an awesome word. It's a life-changing word. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm praying that every day that you'll grow more in love with God. And and, and, and as you grow in love with Him, that's going to take knowledge. You see, you fall in love with what you know. You do not love until you know. That's why you cannot love God until you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you come to that point that you return from your sin to Him, see your need for Him, realize you cannot save yourself, and you need Jesus Christ to be the treasure of your life. You've got to know Him. That's why when you were dating your spouse, if you're married, you fell more in love the more you know them the more you know them. That's why when you talk to somebody who's been married 60 years, that's had a wonderful marriage, they will say, I love my spouse more today than I ever did at the beginning. Why? Because they've had 60 years to know one another. That's what this word means. It means that each day when you get up and you take God's word and you read God's word, you meditate in God's word, you're taking in facts about God, you're taking in truths about God, you're taking in principles about God, but they're gained through first-hand experiential relationship. Meaning, you are learning these things as God opens the Scriptures to you. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God. That's why the Bible calls it the living Word. It's not just any other book. It's the living Word. It's alive. It changes you. It transforms you from the inside out. No other book that's ever been written can do that. That's why this is the best-selling book for all time. It's God's Word. And the Holy Spirit takes it and makes it alive in our hearts as we come to God with a sensitive heart, as we come to God with a heart that says, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to get sin out of the way so I can hear from you. And I gain things about Him. I gain knowledge about Him through knowing Him daily, moment by moment. Experiential relationship. Paul says, here's what I pray. I pray that you'll grow in your love more and more to know God more fully through first-hand experiential relationship. You need more than Sunday morning. You need more than Sunday school. You need more than Sunday night church or Wednesday night church. You need times where you're just alone with God in His Word with an open Bible on your hands and knees reading what He says and just you and God getting to know each other. That's what you need. That's the kind of knowledge he wants you to grow in. Here's the second box we want to unpack, and it's this, discernment. If you're reading out the King James, it's judgment, all right? That's an important word. It will change your life. And here's something. I want to say something about this word real quick. Our generation is struggling to understand discernment. We are one of the most undiscerning generations that has been around in decades, especially our young people. We struggle to discern between what is right and what is wrong. And Paul says here that as you grow in your love, I'm praying that your love, as you spend time with God and learn about who He is, that that causes you then to grow in something called discernment. And I love what that word means. The Greek word actually means the ability to cut through hazy moral matters to really size things up. It's like this. Tomorrow... Alone, you are probably going to make 5,000 decisions. And I'm not exaggerating on that. Statistics tell us that each day we probably make 5,000 choices, all the way from when we choose to brush our teeth, what clothes we put on, to big things, like what we're going to do with our children, what we're going to do in this discipline situation, uh, what, we're, what we're doing in our relationship with the Lord, or what we're going to make on this financial decision. And here's the thing we're faced with choices every day that we're going to have to make the right choice or we're going to make the wrong choice. And he's saying that the more time you spend with God in his word, in his truth, he's going to help you discern and size things up so that you're living a life that's in the will of God. You see, tomorrow, I've got 5,000 choices to make. And here's the goal, that with my 5,000 choices, that Jesus is able to smile at every one of them on wherever I land. And that's a big task. And here's the thing, every one of us has that task tomorrow. Every one of us has that task tomorrow. What will Jesus smile at with my life tomorrow? What will Jesus not smile at with my life tomorrow? We've got to grow in discernment the more we know about Him, the more we know about what's on His heart, the more we're going to be able to discern and just cut through all the gray areas of life, cut through all the decisions, and size things up so that we're walking in the perfect will of God. And you say, how do I do that? Well, that's why the Bible is so important. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, "...for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart." God's Word tells us this. If you want to find out where your heart really is, spend time in the Bible, it's going to cut, through the, it's going to, cut to it. You can fake people. You can talk the talk, you can do all these things, but when you really spend time before God in His Word, it's going to cut through all the quick. It's going to cut through all the fluff. It's going to cut through all the smoke screens and lay bare for you where you really are. But here's the opposite effect of the Word of God. As you spend time in the Word of God and you let the Word of God do heart surgery on you, you're going to get up from your times in the Word of God and you're going to be able to cut through the quick and all those choices you're going to make tomorrow and make sure that the choices you're making make Jesus smile, pleasing God. I think that's a pretty important prayer request. Here's the next thing Paul prays. He says, I pray, here's box number three, approve. We're going to unpack it. He's saying, I pray that you'll grow in knowledge. I pray that you'll grow in discernment. And then I want you to approve of certain things. What does that word approve means? It means show that something is acceptable by putting it to the test. Show that something is acceptable by putting it to the test. Do you know we're putting things to the test every day of our lives? We're showing our children, we're showing the world all the time on what we think is best in living. And if we think that living a life apart from God, doing things contrary to His Word is best, then that's what we're going to do, but we're putting it to the test for everybody else to see. But here's the great thing about God's Word. It always shows itself to be true. It's been showing itself to be true for thousands and thousands of years since the beginning of time. And here's the thing. It's constantly being proven and shown to the test in front of everyone that when you live life apart from God and in your own ways, it does not work. That's why I always showed you that video this morning about the man who said, life wasn't working out so well for me. Things weren't going so right until I came to Jesus Christ. And do you know we've been putting that to the test for thousands of years? A life with Jesus is a life worth lived. A life apart from Jesus is a life that's heading down the wide gate that the world is heading to that leads to destruction. It's being put to the test all the time. And the Bible says this, every day when you make choices, every day, no matter how you choose to live, you're putting it to the test to see if it really works. You know what I found in my life? In in 33 years of living, here's what I found. That every time God did not get first place, things did not go the way they should. And every time I've sought the kingdom of God first, life worked out for the best. I have put that to the test thousands of times, and it proves to be true. Here's what the Bible says. You're constantly approving things every day. You're putting them to the test. So here's the question for all of us. If life isn't going the way you think it should, If your relationship with God seems to be very void, if you're filling up your life with so much of the things of the world trying to satisfy the bucket that only God can fill, look at what the test results have been and maybe you should look at trying something else. Try something else. I had a person talk to me not too long ago. They said, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to drugs. And they said, the reason I'm in your office today is because I'm starting to test I'm starting to find out after doing this for years, this isn't working. You see, we put things to the test every day. What's God revealing to you in your life by the things that you're putting to test? Here's the next word. The next word is excellent. Now this is the one that is really going to change your life, and this is a high standard. God says, I'm praying that your love grows in knowledge, that you're able to cut through the quick, And as you cut through the quick, that you put to the test and approve in your life the things that are excellent. God says, I'm calling you to live an excellent life. Not a perfect life. You cannot be perfect. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. That's why you need Him. But He says, through Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit, through His grace, by relying on His strength, you're going to begin to live a life that approves of the things that differ from the rest, going for what is superior putting away lesser things, putting away worthless things to get to the best stuff. Here's what's so great about God. God never calls you to second place living. Did you know there's never a time in the Bible that God calls you to second, third, fourth, and fifth place living? God is always crying out to us, Go for the best! go for the best in your marriage go for the best as a parent go for your best as a child go for your best in the workplace go for your best as this go for your best in life and you know what if I'm on my deathbed one day and I've just got a whole life full of regrets it's not God's fault because he's been crying out to me since day one go for the best that's what he says My God loves me so much. He says, Mark, I do have a plan for you. You do have a hope. I do have a future for you. And I'm telling you what it is. And not only am I telling you what it is, I empower you to do it. I just need you to trust in me and do your part. You know what I found in my life? Every time I was in God's stride, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, spending time in His Word, obeying what He showed me, I had excellent living. Not perfect living. Still sin, still mess up, still have to get things right with God, get things right with other people, but an atmosphere of excellence. And you know what I found in an atmosphere of excellence when you know, no matter what everybody else did around you, but when you went to bed at night, that you were right with the Lord and you were right with others, there is a joy about that that nothing else in the world can give. And God has said, your standard, Christian, is excellence not half-heartedness not not low living not a comparison to how other Christians live your standard is excellence and that is Jesus Christ so Paul's praying that our love would overflow that we would abound in the knowledge of God that we would just eat up God's word that we would spend time in God's truth and can I say something real quick you will not abound in the knowledge of God if you pack your life full of everything but the Bible When you read the statistics on how much Christians themselves are watching television and how much little time they spend in God's word, you're just not gonna get you're not gonna abound in knowledge if you make the choice to pack your life full of everything but God's Word. And then you can't figure out why you're not a victorious Christian. You can't figure out why you just don't have a heart for it. You can't figure out why your passions are so watered down. You've got to make the choice. See, that's where our part comes in. I gotta choose to cheat something else to get something better. And you won't abound, you won't exceed the ordinary and overflow over and above or have more than expected unless you make the choice to fill your life up with the good stuff. And as you do that, you're going to cut through to the best things for your life. Here's point number three. When I begin to love what God loves, when I begin to love what is best, my life story changes. I love this one. This is awesome because you know what? I'm preaching to some people that just in the time that I've known you, about 14 months, I'm looking at people out here in this audience that just through my knowledge of you, I've watched your life story change this year. That was like a praise God, amen, glory, hallelujah thing. For those of you whose lives have been changed this year, amen. All right? I am looking around at some of you, and from the time I knew you for the first time, over time your life story is changing before our very eyes for the better you are more in love with god you are more passionate about meeting with god's people you have a hunger to be in god's word um i've got some well i think he got them. all right i think he got him i'm not going to embarrass him this morning but there's a gentleman here this morning that says hey i'm starting to tell people about christ at work pastor i need some good gospel tracks and i'm Put them up here and told him to get those. But you know what? When I first met this person, I don't remember him having that desire like he does now. That's transpired over the past five or six months. His life story is changing. Why? Because he's gotten more line with what God's will is for his life. Don't you want your life story to change? I think some of the most depressing people in life are the people who are on their deathbed. Go to their deathbed and just say, you know what? I know I'm not going to go back and get any more of it, but... I guess I made my choices, and I did what I did. And then they begin to blame it on everybody else and why they're living the way they lived. And I tell you what, I don't want to be on my deathbed and find all sorts of excuses on why I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I can't blame it on my mom and dad anymore on why I don't do the right thing. I couldn't blame it on them when I, when I, when I was at their home not doing the right thing or doing the right thing. You see, I don't want to live a life of regrets. And here's what God says. When you begin to love what He loves, not only does it change you for eternity, it changes your testimony right now. You become a different dad. You become a different husband. You become a different mom. You become a different wife. You become a different child in your home when your testimony begins to change. And I want to tell you something. You cannot buy a testimony. You can put a million dollars up there. You can put five million dollars up there. You cannot buy your reputation. It comes through loving God and living for him when I love what is best my life story changes and we see that here in our passage look with me he says that you may approve the things that are excellent and here's why that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ I'm gonna have to share this with you quickly but here's the whole whole issue here he's saying I want you to have a testimony of life change I want you to be authentic and sincere and without offense until the day you see Jesus. He's not saying that you're going to be sinless. You're not. Christians, when they come to Jesus for forgiveness, they still sin. You still mess up. You still backslide. But there's a posture change in your heart that says, I don't want to go that way. I need to get that right. I need to get this corrected. Whereas a person without Christ is like, "Huh? why change? Why change? This is my life. I'm going to do what I want to. There's a difference between them and the person who's been born again. But here's what he says, he says, the more you love what God loves, it's going to change your testimony to where you're sincere and without offense. God says, I want to get you on a track record so you're ready to meet Jesus. In the time of the Bible, when this was written, there was a lot of pottery sold, a lot of pottery sold, and that's where we get the word sincere from, sincera. And what happened was, was pottery dealers would try to fraud people. They would make pots, and they would get a crack in a pot, or they'd get a hole in a pot, or something like that, and they wouldn't want to take the time to remake it because it they would cause them to lose money. And so what they would do is they would fill the pot with wax and then paint over it, trying to defraud people. And then you go up thinking you, you're buying a perfect piece of pottery, but your pottery's got a big crack in it with wax, and eventually that's going to wear out when you go to cook in it and all sorts of things. And so the way you kept from getting... Uh, from, from getting cheated over is that when you went up from a pottery dealer to buy a piece of pottery, you would have to hold up the pottery to the sunlight and see if any light was coming through that pottery because it would come through the wax. And so dealers, if they were really authentic, they would advertise their pottery as sincera, sincere. That's where we get that word from. And you've got to hold it up to the light to make sure it's the real deal. I want to make all this simple for us this morning. I want to put all this in one phrase. The more I get into the habit of holding my life up to the sunlight, S O N, the more I'm going to live a life that counts. Every day I need to pick up this piece of pottery and hold it up to Jesus Christ. And you say, How do I know what Jesus wants? You get into his word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. John chapter 1. Jesus is the Bible. And if you want to know what's on the heartbeat of Jesus, if you want to know what matches up to the character of Jesus Christ, you got to get into the Word. And as you hold your life up to the light of the Word of God, the light of Jesus Christ, and you get into the sunlight, Jesus Christ is going to reveal all those cracks that need transformation. You know what I found? One of my biggest problems in life is is I don't take the time to hold myself really up before the sunlight. And then what I found, too, is that when I do do that and he shows me what needs to be changed, I just don't want to do it. Anybody with me this morning? But then we read some texts and some scriptures in the Bible that are are kind of scary. That say this, examine yourselves to make sure you're saved. Examine yourself to make sure that you're born again. Not that you're perfect. I don't want anybody to leave that. We are sinners saved by grace. But here's the difference. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it changes the posture of what you're living for. He changes, He puts in you a desire and a passion to begin to live and want the things that God wants, the things that are on God's heartbeat. And when I hold my life up to the sunlight and Jesus Christ daily reveals things to me and saying, Mark, this needs to go. Let's get rid of the wax here and fill it up with the right stuff. Let's help you get complete. Let's mature you into the person I've created you to be. What God wants from me at that time is to say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Here's my biggest problem is, so many times I struggle with saying yes. Because there's something in my sin nature that says, I cannot let Jesus fill in that crack because the thing from the world that I'm holding on to there the thing from there I find security in that and I just don't trust him enough to give that up you know what I'm finding the more I live though and how how faulty that belief system is I can't afford not to give it up because I do know this in 33 years of living those cracks that are all in my life they have gotten me nowhere And all the good that's in my life is simply a result of what Jesus Christ has done. And so the more time I spend with God, the more I start saying, oh, there's a cracking mark. Oh, Lord Jesus, just like you've taken over this area, just like you've taken over this area, God, I give you this area because I don't want to find security in that anymore. And then one day, the old hymn, I surrender all, it begins to gradually become more and more of everyday life. Here's the last point this morning. When our love is for what is best, our testimony changes. But here's the last thing. The Bible says that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's point number four. For, any of this, for anything that I preach today to happen in your life, you must make the choice to allow Jesus Christ to transform you. We live in a day where so many people, i talk to so many people, and they think that that you're going to make this happen. And you know what? There are choices you have to make. This whole message has been about choices you make. But that is all within the context of you letting Jesus Christ do His part. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, my prayer for your life is that you would be packed full with the fruits, the byproducts, of righteousness of living according to the way christ wants you to live but notice what he says here and here's our hope which are by jesus christ you don't just make this stuff happen by yourself you need jesus christ to transform you you've got to open the door and let him come in on a daily basis He's saying, as I grow more and more in love with Jesus Christ, I've got to let Jesus Christ come in and do His holy work in my life. For some of us today, it's, I've got to make that first decision to let Him come in and save me from my sin. I don't know Him. I haven't trusted Him. I am a sinner. I am as lost as lost could be. If I was to die today, I have no idea where I would be going for eternity. And the answer God's Word tells us is this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are to repent, turn from sin, change our mind about sin, be convicted of that sin, and look to Jesus Christ and what He's offered for us and receive it by faith and trust Him to save us and He will. But when we do that, then He begins a work called sanctification where now every day He is growing you and I to look less and less like us and more and more like Jesus Christ. And every day I need to experience Jesus Christ transformation in my life. I close with these verses. John chapter 15 verse 4 tells us. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Make your home with me. Rest in me. Trust in me. Do things my way. Spend time in my word. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can't do this stuff by yourself. You've got to abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, there is no life changed for you unless you let me do my part. And what does all this result in? The very last phrase of our passage this morning says, to the glory and praise of God. Did you know the only reason you're on planet Earth right now, God's number one goal for your life is this, that you would live a life that brings Him glory and praise. That you would live a life so that when other people see you, they too begin to praise God. You know what's been so incredible by watching some of your life stories this year? Some of you have gone from darkness to light. Some of you have gotten saved this year. You've trusted in Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. And things are completely different. Your desires are different. What you live for is different. Your whole whole demeanor has changed. Some of you, you've been Christians, but over the past year, just in the time that I personally have known you, you have more passionately begun to follow Christ, and that's changed. But you know what I found? Every time you change, you always impact other people. Some of you, you could have cared beans about bringing somebody to church a year ago because you barely were getting to church yourself. (laughs) Some of you could have cared less about what God's desire was for the people you work with. You were just going, punching the clock, getting a paycheck, and leaving. But you know what I've noticed with some of you? You're being changed. And now you've looked at your job as more than a paycheck; it's a mission field, and you've gotten a heartbeat for what God's heart beats for. And now people are changing because of you. Some of you are emailing me and saying, "Hey, Pastor Mark, I've been talking to such and such coworker. He wants to know if he can talk to a pastor because he doesn't go to church anywhere. Can you call him?" That is amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not asking you to be as excited about it this morning as I am but I'm pretty pumped about it. <laughs> All right, that is great, awesome stuff. Is Jerica Owens in here? Oh, okay, yeah, Jerica, last time I did this, you, you laughed so hard that it embarrassed you, but I won't do this, okay? Jerica, can I just share something of testimony real quick? No, this is a good one, this is a good one. the lady's been going through a study on Jonah the past several months and God's heartbeat for a lost and dying world and how God wants to use us to be a part of the joy of bringing people to himself. So you know what? what? Jericho's life story is changing. As she grows with God, her testimony changes. So guess what has been happening in Jericho's life? Now she has a heartbeat for everybody who lives on her road. And she's been coming up with ways to try to reach every home on her road. Now, can you imagine what would happen if 400 people did that? The politicians at election season may decide that maybe government doesn't solve it all. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's God that will bring change to America. But he's waiting on his people to say, yes, Lord, I'll go for what is best. I'll live my life for what's count. And here's what's so great. When you give your life to what really counts, you don't ever come up short. You have the most joy that you've ever experienced in your entire life. When you go bed at night and say, Lord Jesus, today I pleased you. Now give me a heartbeat to get up tomorrow and do it all over again. And when you do that day after day after day, one day you're going to reach your deathbed and you're going to smile as people stand around and you're going to say, by the grace of God, I live for Jesus. Now you go do the same. That's a life worth living. I'll give you two last verses. Romans 11, verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Jesus Christ did not create you to live a life apart from Him. He created you to live a life for Him, through Him, and to Him. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Christians, listen carefully. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. But if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been identified with Him, you know Him. Listen to me carefully. Here's His mission statement for your life. And He died for all. That those who live, meaning those who have trusted in Him, they now have everlasting life. They are not to live any longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. That is an incredible verse. That's our mission statement. That's what God's will is for your life. You don't have to go home and even pray about it. Right there it is. God's will for my life is to no longer live for myself and the old junk that I used to live for, but to live for what is excellent and pleasing in His sight. Would you stand together? Every head bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray with you. Aaron's going to come and lead us in two last songs. And then we're going to have a great thing. Something called a baptism. And so we're going to be done in just a minute. Those who are getting baptized, if they want to head on back, we'll tell you more about what that is in just a moment. If you don't understand what that is, and it's a special thing. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you to do something this morning. We're going to sing two songs of praise. Just for you to be able to reverberate, maybe how God has worked in your heart this morning, back to Him in song. But if God has spoken to you in some way and you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor, I will tell you this right now. I don't even know why I came to this church today. Someone invited me and I am kind of looking for something more, but I don't really understand all that you've said. You don't need to understand it all. But one thing I do want to throw out to you is this, is where are you with Jesus? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, that word means trust, should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you feel like God is speaking to you saying, you know you're a sinner. You're not forgiven. You haven't come to Christ for forgiveness. You've never trusted in Him. you've, You've never turned from sin to Jesus Christ. Let today be the day of salvation for you. I would invite you while Aaron sings to come forward and Johnny and Arlene Gregory right up here up front. And they will help you. They'll take an open Bible and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're a Christian here this morning you say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I know I'm a Christian. God's been doing so much work in my life. I know Him. There's evidence of that. But I'll tell you this, I sure haven't been living for what is excellent. I haven't even been pushing for it. I kind of been pushing for second, third, and fourth, and fifth place. And here's the only thing I can say with that. One day you're going to regret that. You are. You're just going to regret it. And can I tell you something? Every day that I live for second, third, fourth, and fifth place things, I'm going to regret it too. But God loved me so much that He gave me His Word. He gives me a warning. He gives me a loving warning and says, no one wants better for your life than I do. And I want to empower you today to live for what is best. Maybe today would be a good day just to get some things right with the Lord. I invite you to do whatever you need to do. If you need to talk with someone, you come forward. If you need to come kneel at this altar, feel free to do that. If you need to pray with somebody else or with your family, I invite you to do that today as Aaron leads us in song. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. Lord, I believe you're speaking to hearts today. I believe you want to do something special today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just do it in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name.